0: Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com.
1: I couldn't be more delighted and excited to introduce uh, our speaker today, Uh, Pete and Sarah Portal are with us. Pete's been before a few years ago. I don't know, Sarah, is this your first time? So stand up, Sarah and Pete, and we want to welcome these guys. It's so lovely to have them with us. Um, all the way from South Africa, you're going to hear some of their story, but they're, they're just dear friends. I've stayed in their home, uh, which is in uh, one of the most beautiful places uh, in, uh, in South Africa, uh, one of the most beautiful places within the sort of Cape Area which is, of course, uh, a, a, a place called Mannenberg that you're going to hear about. Uh, last time I went to, um, to, to South Africa in the airport in Cape Town, I said to the lovely immigration lady, um, Well, she said to me, where, where are you staying? And I said, um, I'm staying in Mannenberg. She said, No, darling, you don't want to stay in Mannenberg. Uh, it's a bad place. I, uh, why would you want to stay there? And I just smiled at her said, I've heard Jesus lives there. <laughs> and she just threw back her head and laughed and said, OK, and stamped my passport <laughs> and handed it to me. And you're going to hear that Jesus lives in a place called Mannenberg. Uh, Pete and Sarah are just extraordinary uh, leaders, paid a very great price, continue to pay a very great price to serve Jesus and uh, we, we love them dearly, we commend them to you highly. Uh, they're part of the family of boiler room communities around uh, the world. Uh, Pete uh, has just released a, a, a brilliant new book, which I'm sure he's gonna mention, I want him to mention it to you, uh, No Neutral Ground. And you should definitely try and get hold of a copy cause it will just inspire and provoke you in equal measure. So please, let's put our hands together and welcome Pete Portal. <laughs>
0: Good morning. My, how you've grown. Good to see you're growing the worship team in uh, proportion to the congregation as well. Gospel choruses, wonderful. It's so great to be here. We just had a lovely time in Woking and Drive furiously and legally uh, across the the city. Um, Thank you, Pete, for that intro. It's just um, wonderful to see what God is doing amongst you guys and to bring... A little, uh, a little story, a little snippet, a little preach from our side of the world. We uh, uh, live on the southernmost tip of Africa in a city called Cape Town. Anyone from Cape Town here? A couple represent. There we go. And South Africa generally? Yeah? Yeah? Oh, you love Guildford. <laughs> nice here, isn't it? Um, Sarah and I have been in Manenberg 10 years, and um, as Pete said, people have a variety of different opinions about the community we live in. Uh, Some would call it an apartheid dumping ground, others would call it the armpit of Cape Town or a gang breeding ground or whatever. We we call it home, it's our favorite place in Cape Town, it really is wonderful. Um, And of course, it's uh, not a radical thing to do to live in a community where people were forcibly removed. In the 60s and 70s, uh, tens of thousands of people and families were forcibly removed by the apartheid government as their homes at the foot of Table Mountain were bulldozed. And dormitory-style housing was erected and built for them 20, 30 kilometers out of town. And whilst in 1994, praise God, the law of apartheid was dismantled, uh, 25 years later, the spirit of apartheid continues to live on in a really obvious way. And so our contention, both politically, socially, but really at its core theologically, is that when people say, Manenberg, can anything good come out of Manenberg? We go, oh wait, we've heard that before. I've heard that somewhere before, and I'm pretty sure I know how that ends, and it ends well. Amen? So our contention is we are really not particularly courageous or radical. That's not me just putting on the British, whatever it is, self-deprecating, false humility thing that we do so well. It's just a very reasonable and logical response to the gospel of Jesus in a segregated city in the most economically unequal country on earth. It just makes sense. Please don't pedestal it. It just makes sense. Um, And so we are part of Leading Tree of Life Church, a community with um, young men coming out of gangs and drugs and abused teenage girls who we've opened a home for recently. Um, uh, The young men who are coming out of gangs and drugs come and live with Sarah and I. Uh, We'll hear a bit more about, uh, really, the church's response to those that the world throws out. Um, But we just say, come and belong. And as you belong, come and believe. In yourself and in the Lord Jesus as he introduces you to your prophetic DNA. And as you discover who you've been created to be, come and become. And at some point you might start behaving, but you don't have to. And we have, um, uh, we have uh, dear friends, Muslims, part of our church. We've got a couple of Christians knocking around as well. And we, we do church. We try to do something a bit like this uh, on a Sunday. Very different uh, uh, uh building but um, we, we we're generally a bit better at doing church Monday to Saturday um, but I hear you get that as well so that's that's fun um, I wanted to just show briefly a two minute video I don't know who I look to to cue that up at the back and um, just gives you a real a, a snippet of some of the faces and some of the context of what I'm talking about um, so let's put that on now just for two minutes oh. Policy is one which is called by an Afrikaans word apartheid. What will it take to change the story? A vision from the heart of God growing community and restoring worth in forgotten places. We all have a journey marked out ahead. There will be both victories and tragedies. Where will yours lead and what trials will you face along the way? The voice of God deep within is beckoning us into adventures as yet unknown. Whole-hearted lives, so costly but relentlessly hopeful. Could another world be calling, a compelling new reality? Where walls are torn down and friendships built? Where myths are exposed and unheard voices listened to? The old order of things made new. But what of the cost, the accusation? the despair, the choruses of it can't be done. We can choose what to believe, to rise up above the pointing fingers of accusation and the shrugs of indifference. The stories we live in are the stories we live out. What if yours is a story that the world is crying out to hear? Because ultimately, there is no neutral ground. makes me emotional watching it when we're away. It's um, the wonderful, well, one of the wonderful things about that video, that film, is that really the majority of the people in that video are walking miracles. I mean, we all are to some extent, right? But I think of Waden, the guy who you first saw, who was nicknamed the Great Escape, because he was shot at six times from about 10 meters away and escaped, and his uh, street now know him as that. And when he got on a plane, last year to come to the Vienna 24-7 prayer conference because he had been living in a car for a year, a burnt-out car in the neighbor's yard because he had been thrown out of his grandma's house for bricking her house. He was a member of the Stupa Boys and um, involved in all sorts of gang-related issues and activities and was a crystal meth addict. And when he got on a plane to Vienna, having met Jesus and been set free and discovered that he belonged and now believed and was becoming... Who was the person at Ethiopian Airlines check-in desk at Cape Town International Airport checking him in? Only his Muslim neighbor who lived across the road from him. And she goes, "Waiden." he goes, Faika? He goes, what are you doing here? And he just gets his passport out and goes, I'm going to Vienna. And it was just one of those kindness of God moments. Why on earth would that happen? How on earth could you engineer that? But as we see the lives changed around us, we begin to see just that infectious evangelism through fascination just begin to seep out. Or I think of um, uh, Varney, uh, who, uh, who started his own gang and who now lives with us, uh, uh, who is in the video, and uh, just has the highest value for the presence of God and the prophetic that you've ever, ever met. Or I think of Michaela, Waden's girlfriend, who we were praying for for a year during his time in Crew 62, our home, where he's coming out of gangs and drugs, and she recently got radically saved. And he's now saying, what on earth happened to my girlfriend? Because I need to step up my game, because she is now leaving me in her wake. The, 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 whole, the whole film, much as it tells a story, and I'm sure it's about the book, is walking miracles from face to face. Um, quite apart from the film, was made by, this is now a film promo, like promo, but um, it was made by Mannenberg Films, a little uh, previously Tree of Life ministry it was saying, well, how could we reframe the narrative told about a community? How could we actually disseminate stories of hope, which is not a neutral endeavor, as we are learning in Cape Town, hence the voices of the accused saying it cannot be done. You're pissing in the ocean, forgive my expression, but that we get that a lot. But what we're seeing is that Mannenberg Media Company became Mannenberg Films, an independent company, and is now beginning to do more and more work uh, in empowering and training up. Uh, In the last count, I think it was um, 10 young people in editing and filmmaking. So that is the story behind the film that tells the story of my book, which tells the story of our life, just to keep you up to date. Right, we're gonna look at Mark chapter five um, today. It's one of my favorite chapters of scripture, um, demons, death, and chronic sickness, something for everyone, um, and it involves, it involves a really sweet character called the demoniac. Demoniac is one of those niche Christian words, isn't it, a bit like manger. We say it sort of once or twice, and that's about it. and doesn't really have much place anywhere else. It's like, love, where do you put the car keys? Oh, they're in the manger. I'll just ask the demoniac, you know, it's like, we, we, it's not common parlance, but um, it's a great little story, uh, Mark chapter 5, 1 to 20, uh, of really trying to locate some of what I've described in Sarah and my life, and our convictions, theologically, that this is really quite conventional Christianity, people. And this is just us trying to follow the example we read of Jesus setting us in Scripture. So Jesus... Reveal yourself to us through your word. Forgive me. I'm sure you've all got Bibles on your laps anyway, so um, you'll be able to follow. I'm going to paraphrase the story, and you can decide whether or not I've left some stuff out. But Jesus goes into a boat with his disciples, and they decide, or he decides or the father decides, because remember, Jesus didn't do anything the father wasn't telling him to do. The father decides they are to go across to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes, the Gerasenes region. Now, Mark is deliberately hamming up how unkosher the Gerasenes region is, because the first guy they meet is not some welcome team, it's not the office of tourism, it's not they're a little driver or anything like that. It's a wailing demoniac, a man with a legion of demons with chains hanging off his wrists, which are bloodied by the fact that he's been scraping himself with stones and has uh, just run out from the tombs and the graveyards where he has been put. You can imagine, can't you? Jesus had been curled up on his little travel pillow on the, on the boat as this furious storm got his disciples all rather worried In the end, he calmly gets up, sort of brushes his teeth, no real hurry. Wipes his eyes and says, oh yeah, be still. And you can imagine they get onto the other side of the lake and they're popping their anti-nausea tablets thinking, what on earth could make that worthwhile? Golly, demoniac. Interesting who recognized Jesus first, wasn't it? The demonic. And Jesus doesn't run away from him, or uh, 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 he doesn't even talk to the man. Jesus actually talks to the demons and just says, come out of him. After asking what their name was, Legion, but we are many. I mean, what a chilling line. You imagine his eyes going round and round. And um, Jesus says, come out of him. What happens? They do exactly what Jesus says. Find a herd of pigs and run off a cliff peculiar turn of events. We'll get back to the pigs. Bear with me on that. But um, I think my point is, first off, that Jesus' heart for revival, Jesus' heart for the world, leads us necessarily out of comfort and out of familiarity. Josh Heather came up with a great line earlier, saying, listen, the reason the Holy Spirit's called the comforter is because we need to get somewhere that's kind of uncomfortable, so that we need comfort. If we're sitting sort of um, in utter comfort without any sense of discomfort, then we don't really need a comforter, do we? Which is possibly why sometimes when we say, oh, Holy Spirit, come, we kind of struggle to find him because we're not actually stepping out of comfort and familiarity. The first person they encounter is a person that the world has rejected. This could not be more unclean for Jewish disciples. They were the other side of the lake. There's a different outlook, different people, different customs, different ways of doing things. Sarah and I have just been in France, so we know exactly how unfamiliar and disconcerting this is. <laughs> um, and also how inadequate GCSE-level French is. So many years later. And just to de- mythologize the myth shouting louder doesn't bring greater levels of understanding apparently so anyway they're, but they're in an unfamiliar place and it is it is not kosher this guy is dripping with his own blood unclean he's come from a graveyard unclean he has unclean spirits unclean and then where do they go pigs unclean. We need to understand that Mark is hamming this up. He's deliberately telling us this is uncomfortable. And then we look at, we can consider the demoniac, consider this man with a legion of demons and think, well, what callous villages. Where was their compassion? Where was their heart? They chain him up in the graveyard in tombs and just leave him to kind of wail at night. You can imagine them coming to Jesus saying, oh, brilliant, no one's one's visited our region for ages. We keep getting one-star Airbnb reviews with descriptions of worrying wailing coming from the graveyard. (laughs) Otherwise, perfectly nice, but we've got a real tourism problem. Can't you come help? You'd think that they would think something like that, but actually they've just isolated and rejected this man. They have chained him up, incarcerated him, and put him on the margins of society. And the funny thing is, we tend to still do the same. This man was struggling with self-hatred, mental health issues. The overlap of mental health and the demonic is is a thought for another time. And it's really encouraging to hear all the counselors that are getting trained up in this place, to sustain that move of God in Guildford. That's really exciting. And um, But these people weren't particularly callous. Here's the thing. The world just simply doesn't have the solutions to the problems the world itself generates. Amen? Amen. There are no socio-political or economic solutions to the demoniac. There is no charitable funding or corporate social responsibility that or no mural that will that will be a solution to this. Jesus And this is why it's so fun that this is Pentecost today. I didn't realize it was Pentecost until a couple of days ago, and I just looked up Pentecost, and it's like, oh, great, it's today. But it works. This works, Pete. This isn't a tenuous link. This works. Because here's the thing. Jesus empowers us in the way that in Acts 4 we learned that the Sanhedrin saw these, quote, unschooled, ordinary men who had been with Jesus, who were really quite unremarkable, fear-filled, doubting, backstabbing, moronic, jostling for a title... Rings a bell, <laughs> does in my life. And we hear that the Holy Spirit fell in power in tongues and flames and um, that actually this was a, a, a wonderful um, confirmation of the diversity and unity of the people and culture of God all around the world. Pentecost is that, but what it also was, was it was an imparting of the dunamis power of the Spirit to be able to then empower hopeless cases to change the world. And so when Jesus arrives at the, le- at the other side of the lake, at the Gerasenes region, and he, the first thing he does is, a- does is actually to loose that power over someone who has been bound by the best solutions the world had to offer him, and they weren't very good. And so we as this company of people walking the opposite way to the world can say, guys, Pentecost, we've got an answer. He's the Holy Spirit. He's in me and he wants out. Amen. The most creative strategy we have to offer is the church. It's not social betterment. It's not governmental coercion. We serve the world by showing it something it's not. A place where God is creating a family out of strangers. That's not my quote. That's an amazing guy called Stanley Haravas who says that. And um, So anyway, this guy gets free. The pigs are off the cliff. You'd think, Well, this is amazing. These villagers now are going to be super amped. They're going to come and say, Jesus, this is amazing. i tell you what, he's he's wearing boxers for the first time. Fully clothed and in his right mind is a sign of the kingdom. Praise God. Naturists may disagree, but that's also (laughs) discussion for another day. And um, here he is, and you'd imagine these villagers would say, oh, wow, this is the solution that we've been waiting for. What is this power you've got? Can't we have some? But no, they were afraid. They were afraid. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this. And everyone went to see what happened. They came to Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Why? Well, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man. Okay, fine. Oh, and told them about the pigs as well. You'd imagine they'd be like, oh, this guy's just been set free. I'll tell you what. You can imagine Jesus being like, oh, where's my smartphone? Let's just film a little testimony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So tell, you know. And you can imagine, right, he can be the next face of Alpha. Brilliant. Come on tour with me. You can do the sort of warm-up act, get everyone crying, kind of lay them up and I'll smack them down. You can imagine that sort of thing. We would do that, wouldn't we? But actually, actually, it's quite a different thing that plays out. The villagers were terrified. What is this power that we know nothing of? And where the hell are our pigs? (laughs) What's this about with the pigs? Let's get to the pigs. It's all about the pigs, peeps. Okay. The pigs represented familiarity. They represented a way of life. They probably represented... Financial stability. They would represent business as usual, the status quo. They would represent that thing we've done forever. They would represent just life as normal. The moment Jesus sends those pigs off a cliff, hey, guess what? There's a new reality breaking in, peeps. There's a new thing going on. And when it comes down to it, whilst that village may well have wanted this demonized, self-hating, self-harming incarcerated, marginalized man to get free, if it really came down to the revival of hearts and minds in people that no one had any hope for and the transformation of society as a result, or financial stability, security, the way it always has stayed familiarity and don't rock the boat, then what did they choose? Their fear tells us, them asking Jesus to leave tells us what they chose. Really, at the end of the day, it came down to them preferring their pigs to the freedom of the demoniac. And so they asked Jesus to leave. There's an, interesting, there's an interesting quote by a man called Leonard Ravenhill who says, the reason we don't have revival is because we're quite happy to live without it. We can debate the ups and downs, the ins and outs or whatever of what revival it actually is. But the question I want to ask us today is, what are our pigs, guys? And don't be fooled into thinking because Sarah and I have moved to manenberg we're doing some radical thing, and don't keep our own pigs. We've got our pigs. Revival will cost us something. This move of God that we're praying for, thy kingdom come, fill in Guildford Cathedral tonight, prayer led by the bishops. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're not doing anything, get down there. If you are doing something, cancel it and get down there. But at some point, our prayers need to grow legs. And at some point, we need to ask ourselves, well, what is the familiarity? What is the comfort that actually precludes the need for a comforter that we're living in? What are the pigs that we're herding, which is perfectly right and reasonable in the normal way we've always lived? But what might those be that are blocking us from the transformation in the life of those who the world has thrown out? And God is bringing to us as the church, saying, you have got a solution because I've infused you with him. He's called the Holy Spirit. We need to be asking these questions. This isn't weighing heavy burdens on anyone. It's the most loving thing God could do. He's our loving Father saying, oh, if only there was another move of the Spirit-like Pentecost again. He is so more up for it than we are. He loves these people so much more than we do in manenberg We just need to look at the story later on in the same chapter of Mark. Remember, I promised you um, chronic illness. I didn't promise you death, but we get some of that as well. And Jesus is going, he's returned to the other side of the lake, and now Jairus, this man of influence, and this man of probably wealth and power, comes to Jesus saying, my daughter's sick, can't you help? The disciples are thinking, are you joking? We need a retreat, we're not going straight back into this boundaries, Jesus, come on. And Jesus is like, cool, let's do it, let's go. Um, so they're on their way to Jairus' house, uh, big, uh, big, big crowd of people, and someone tugs on Jesus' robe, and... He feels that that amazing phrase, he feels power leave his body. Lord, would we we experience that in our lifetime? And this distraught, chronically bleeding woman who is not named in the story. Interesting that Jairus gets a name, isn't it? But the bleeding woman is just the bleeding woman. And kneels at Jesus' feet. You can imagine her just sort of kneeling down. And it says... He looked at her, and she looked at him, and she got to tell her whole truth. This woman who, oh, my knee's click. This woman who, for 12 years, would have been ceremonially unclean, rejected, ousted, marginalized, familiar, right? And what does Jesus do? He makes the influential man wait. And you can imagine Jairus pacing up and down going, this is great. Yeah, I get it. You're a really compassionate guy. Awesome. But... My daughter's at death's door. Come on. And you can imagine Jesus just sitting next to this woman and just saying, tell me more. And just weeping with her. Tell me more about the whole truth. Jesus, the wonderful counselor, tell me more about this. And why does he do this? To shame her in front of everyone? Absolutely not. Quite the opposite. To reinstate her back into society which had marginalized her because of her uncleanness. So it was the kindest thing he could do. And here's the thing. It was the kindest thing he could do for Jairus as well. Why? Because those with influence and power need to learn to wait. Amen? Yeah? <laughs> People are like, oh, yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> any delay that God's, God allows in your life is for the purpose of relationship. He was teaching Jairus something Deeply profound as they were sitting listening to the whole truth of this woman. But he wasn't just like, yeah, yeah, cool, yeah, yeah, Jairus, you're getting this. He was fully invested there as well. So what we see in both these stories of the demoniac... Oh, and then he raises Jairus's daughter from the dead, right? So just sort of side note. Because it's no more supernatural to raise the dead than it is to love your neighbor, whose society has ousted. It's really same, same. And Jesus's ministry was epitomized and... Um, encapsulated by the effect he had one-to-one with people, but then also the way he left society afterwards, the way he left that village in the Gerasenes region afterwards, the way he left that woman and her place in society afterwards, the legacy, leaving somewhere a little bit better than we found it. So back to the pigs. Back to the pigs. It's the kindness of God... Think of it this way. There's a guy called Sadhu Singh. He was, a, um, he was a Sikh and then got really depressed and was about to commit suicide in that evening. This is in the late 1800s. The Holy Spirit appeared to him. And he got saved. And he began to walk throughout India and Tibet. He was called the Apostle with the Bleeding Feet. And he just shared the gospel in signs and wonders and in love and compassion with anyone he met. And he tells a story about a pebble in a river. You've probably heard it. If you have, that's great. If you haven't, this is really fun. And if he... Okay, so this, isn't, this is not me asking you a trick question, okay? If, if we're by the, uh, the side of a river and I pick up a pebble from the river, is that pebble wet? Yeah. yeah. Right. Now, if I get that pebble and I crack it against the ground and it splits into two pieces, is the inside of that pebble wet? Is it any wetter than it was before it was in the river? It's absolutely bone dry. And so it's Jesus' kindness. If the river is the river of God, and if we are all these pebbles who are in the river of God, week on week, getting drenched on the outside, and Jesus comes to us and he says, hey, you want a move of God? Try this. And we shatter into a thousand pieces, and then he throws us back in the river, and there's more of us that can get drenched by his spirit. And sometimes we need to know that it's the kindness of God to make us wait or the delay in our process. Or it's the kindness of God to take us out of that state of familiarity and business as usual into something that really feels disconcerting, scary, and even potentially oppressive. It's all very generative. And to end, I want us to have a little look at a throwaway phrase. Mark four thirty-six. This is the chapter before the one we've been looking at. This is when they're in the boat, on their way to the garrisons, And remember, the father had asked Jesus to go, because Jesus wouldn't have done it otherwise. But then they get to a storm, furious storm in the lake. Jesus, as we know, gets up, rebukes the wind of the waves, and it's still. But there's just a little, a little verse, a little throwaway uh, sentence. And it just says, there were also other boats with them. They weren't the only boat on the lake that day. And if God had asked Jesus, if the Father had asked him to get into the boat, and then a storm happened, well, there are different explanations for that, but certainly the storm was not the very reason to turn back and leave and not actually step out into that thing that God had for them. But here's the thing. What Jesus did in taking authority over the wind and the waves, nature itself, Would have affected the the heartbeat rates and mood and safety and sense of peace in his own boat. But on every other boat on the same lake as them. Okay, so a, a bit of participation. Could you get your hands and do this? Okay. And now gently... Move your hands like I am. We've just become a boat. And look, most of you are rowing the same direction. That's encouraging. But we need to know, don't we? And we already do, there are other boats on our lake. What goes on in this lake and what Jesus does in this lake and the authority and the order in chaos and the move of God that we see in this lake and the healings and the salvations and transformations of families and relationships and workspaces and all sorts that go on in this lake, in this boat rather, will necessarily affect the destiny of those in our workplaces, in our families who aren't yet in our boat but who are on the same lake as us. Amen? So we need to know We need to know that whatever Jesus is doing here wants out. And that really is the story of Pentecost. It wasn't just, cool, I've got this new hairdo. It looks like a flame of fire. It was, wow. He's given us the power to change the world. And it doesn't always look like much. But he's also given us, through his life, an embrace of those That everyone else would throw out and say, no thanks, we haven't actually got an answer. That we would welcome them and say, come and belong. Come and believe. And as you do, come and become. That's really all I've got. I don't know if we would like to do some ministry. We'd like to do some praying, some more worship. I don't know how you would normally do this. I know you know how to do this sort of thing. (laughs) No, you do it.